Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, and we will begin our reading in verse... One. We've all heard of the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. If you've not heard of it, just, just look like you did, it's fine. There actually was also a Hexateuch, meaning the first six books of the Bible. It's rare that you see that in a collection, but Joshua was added uh, in some circles to the Pentateuch, but officially there was the first five books. They were called the Torah. Uh, that was the law. And uh, so, but Joshua is a book that kind of comes at an odd time. If we go back, and we won't, but if we had gone back to the very first chapter of Joshua, we see that Moses, my servant, is now dead. That's what God tells Joshua. That time has passed. He was great. Uh, he was the meekest man, God said, who ever lived. He was a great servant, had some problems, paid for some bad decisions he made, but a great man of God. He's gone now. Those days are past. We're not here to celebrate that anymore. It's time to move on. And the children of Israel, they have gone into the promised land. And they're all ready to fight. As a matter of fact, we're going to read in a moment here where their enemies were scared to death. What a great time to attack. When you, when you got them on the run, that's when you want to get them. But there's so many times in Scripture that God teaches us that what we think would be the perfect time to do something, God says, hang on a second. It's just not yet. Some other things have to be done. Joshua is one of my favorite characters in all of the Old Testament. He is a simple, simple man. He inherited a job that I don't think he ever wanted, but he took it and he glorified God with it. He was a simple spoken man. The day would finally come that he would look at Israel and say, I've tried. I've tried, but I'm going to just have to tell you, you make up your mind this day who you plan to serve. But as for me and my house, and he was 80-something years old by then at least, he said, we will serve the Lord. It's just how it is. You know, we've learned here that bar in the Hebrew means son of. Simon bar Jonah means son of John or son of Jonah in the Hebrew. If you look at Joshua's father, his father was named Nun. This is Joshua bar Nun. And let me tell you something. He was a courageous man. Let's read together from Joshua chapter 5. They're in the promised land. They're ready to do some battle. God says, hang on. Now it came about, Joshua 5, verse 1, 
when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. They were scared to death. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make yourselves flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel Israel at Gebeath Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, they died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised But all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way they came out of Egypt, as they came out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until at all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised. For they, are, or they were circumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation... They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. And when the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover. Something else they had not done for 40 years. They observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the last verse we'll read, the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Cana during that year. When I think about this week, this Wednesday, we start back with our men's discipleship. That's a way of making an announcement within a sermon. But it's important. We, we start back. I'm excited about that. We've not been meeting for a while. We put it off during this summer. As a matter of fact, this Wednesday, All-Stars will begin again. Miss Ursula is back from the fatherland, so now we will begin All-Stars. But so many things are happening. I believe it is the next week the ladies begin meeting. And 
And, and I know that some have been on vacation. I know that some have been out to different places. I know some have been sick. But I see us at a point as a church where things are about to kick off and get rolling again. They do every time, it seems, this time of year. Our numbers begin to pick up. There's a lot more activity uh, around here on Wednesday nights. This place will be buzzing. There will be kids everywhere. Uh, there will be Bible studies for men and women. The youth will be meeting. Uh, it will be an incredible time. I'm looking forward to it, but I have to tell you, when I look back on the last year, especially for myself and for some others, I think about Pastor Deese right now, who is, uh, he is still not feeling well. He's been through so much and and then their family walked through one of the darkest times in recent months that you could ever imagine. And then I think about this time about a year ago. In my own heart and life, I go to the ER for a kidney stone and wind up with an embolism in my heart that's due to an accident by the staff there. But stuff happens. I wind up... Uh, in a dire situation uh, in Spartanburg Regional Hospital, had an ambulance ride and all of that. And then in November of last year, I lost my hand and part of my right arm. And then after that, in May of this year, they discovered that I had colon cancer. It's been a year. It's been a year. Now, God's been good. I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I, people ask me all the time, say, how are you doing? And, and I mean it when I tell you I'm, I'm doing great. I really am. Once you get rid of cancer, once they tell you that, yep, we got it, and it's all gone, it's hard to grumble about something else. Really, it is. It's hard to just be aggravating to people and and, and, and to not be grateful for the healing power of God. Once you've been through that, man alive. And then I remember, you know, like yesterday, sitting in a tree stand with my arm missing and all of that. And, 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 and already the embarrassment sitting in somewhat is that, well, how am I going to tell people that I shot myself? I didn't think much about that. I thought I was dying. I seriously thought I was dying. Matter of fact, I've told you, I actually had lost so much blood that when things began to kind of get dark and, and the voices got further away, it sounded like, and my vision started to dim, I actually whispered the words, Lord, I'm coming home. I didn't say it in an excited way. I wasn't happy about it, except that I did have the assurance, hallelujah, that I knew if I do draw my last breath sitting here in this deer stand, I'm going to be with God. And then I was kind of reminded, you remember, you've heard me say before, I've always said, I don't want to die in a nursing home, I'd rather die in a deer stand. Those words came back to me that day. Well, this is what you ordered. Death in the woods. It's been a tough time. Tough time for a lot of people. There's folks in our church now that are going through things that are probably not going to turn out so well. And I, I, I don't know. I, I just trust in God about all of that. But I am excited about where I believe God is taking us as a church. And I'm excited about 
what I see God doing. I, I know things around us are chaotic, but you have to think about the children of Israel. They have just moved right in next door to the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Gagashites, Hivites, Hittites, Moabites, all of these people. They're everywhere. They're depraved. They are godless. Um, we think about people around us that don't care about church. Man, these people, wow. You're talking about depraved and paganistic and the things that they did and a disregard for morality and God and anything like that. They had their own gods that, that were so wicked and, and gods that they created that affirmed for them that, yeah, we're doing the right thing and, and it's okay to be immoral. And in their temples, it usually involved sexuality and things like that. Anything that had to do with their pleasure, they just baptized it right into their religions. That's exactly what I see happening around us, it seems. Right in the middle of that, the children of Israel cross the Jordan. They're in the promised land now, and they're all ready to go. Now, I would not have had God asked me, but I'm so glad He rarely asked me anything. I would not have disabled my entire army just, just as soon as he, we got there. I would not have put them in a predicament to where they won't even be able to fight for several days. They're going to have to recuperate and all of that. But that is why I am not God, and He is. And He has a plan for all of that. And I, I, I want to share with you a sermon today entitled, Before We Move On. We're about to move on here. We've got another year coming. I'm so excited about it. Uh, men, I have missed teaching with you and going through the Word of God with you uh, 6 o'clock sharp on Wednesday nights. Uh, I, I've missed that so much. I'm looking forward to, to our first uh, time together this week. I'm so excited about all of that. But it's like this week God said to me, Mike, before we go there, there's some things we need to do. One, we need, first of all, a time of reassurance. I think that'll help us more than anything. It's here in the Word. Verse 1, they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. He's talking about the Canaanites. He's talking about the Amorites who lived near the river, who lived near the coastline there or the edge of the Jordan. Uh, not the coastline, but the edge of the promised land. They had already heard what God had done. They had already heard that, man, the God of these Israelites, they're not like any of the gods we serve. It's incredible what they can do. We heard that the river just dried up, that the people had to walk and get to the river. It was during flood season, which, well, there's another thing I probably would not have planned but it was during the time when the river was raging and the waters didn't even stop until the people put their feet in. Isn't that like God sometimes? He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get you through this, but I'll, if you think I'm going to dry up the whole place before you even start toward it, think again. I want to know that you have your faith and your trust in me. These Canaanite people didn't have that. These Amorites did not have that. And one of Calvin's old commentaries I read this week, he says, remember this though, even though they were scared to death, it did not make them repent of their evil. They didn't get right with God. 
They didn't come to the Israelites and say, hey, we need to be circumcised and we want to serve the same God that you serve as well. That never happened. They became, they were mortal enemies until the very end. That's just how it is. Fear uh, might get people's attention, but it rarely motivates people to repentance. I, I, I know we hear this a lot. I, I see it posted on social media that we need preachers that will preach hell is hot and, and, and that God is just and, and judgment's coming and all of that. And I'm not saying that we don't, but I can tell you now, you could preach on hell and do as good a job as, as, as some of those men of old that, that could, boy, lay it out there. Jonathan Edwards said that they said when he preached that people would literally hold to the pews to keep from falling off into the pits of hell. And you might think that, boy, he must have been really exciting in the pulpit. He was very monotone and preached like he was reading every word of it. But boy, those words were powerful. I'd like to tell you that, yep, that's what our country needs and that'll get people right with God. But I'm afraid not. When you look at Revelation chapter 6, it says when the sixth seal was opened that people cried out for the rocks and mountains to fall on them. They were so afraid, but not one time did they ever cry out and say, God, forgive us because we are repenting of our sinfulness. This doesn't work that way. That's the land we live in, friend. I hear people say it. I've said it. I've said it. One day they'll learn. That's not true. Most people who haven't learned by now won't ever learn. Really. They're going to die before they learn. I used to say that when people hurt bad enough, they'll quit whatever it is that they're doing. A lot of people are going to live till the day they draw their last breath and they're going to be angry with God and rebellious against anything that has anything to do with God whatsoever. They are bent in their spirit and soul. And the only thing that can ever lead them to repentance is going to be the Spirit of God. Matter of fact, Paul even says in Romans that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's when people realize that He does love them. If they're ever going to have a chance, that will be it. We need some reassurance. I know. We look around the world around us today. we got quite a crowd. I don't think they're going to get right with God. If they do show up here at church, my guess is they're probably going to be marching around the building and rattling paint cans and, and, and decorating the place. I, I don't know. There's a lot of them would love to see us off of Facebook. There's a lot of them. As a matter of fact, I've been toying with the idea of trying to get on YouTube, but I am told that we wouldn't last very long on YouTube, that we would be cold early on because of what we preach. Well, that's just too bad because we're not going to change what we preach to get on YouTube. Secondly, it was a time of sanctification, a time of reassurance. Sometimes we need to stop a minute and have a time of sanctification. In verse 2, he made knives of flint and circumcised Israel again. And I know he explained it well in the passage here, but they hadn't been circumcised. 
Now, they had been raised in the desert with their fathers. This is one of those things that, boy, it's a, I, I think this is a word worth mentioning. Had their fathers been what they should have been, of course, had they been what they should have been, they'd have been in the promised land. They would not have died in the wilderness, but they were not. They not only failed as a people of God, they failed as fathers as well. Because when these children, these boys, were eight days old, that was when they were to be circumcised. If you were of the Ishmaelite tribe, or the Ishmaelite descendants of Abraham, they would usually wait till you're about 13. If you were a proselyte, then it would happen whenever in your life. Usually people were adults. But if you were born into a family of Hebrews, it would happen on the eighth day. But these kids didn't have the kind of fathers that cared about those kinds of things. And you think about this. I'm, I'm not just trying to be coy here. But some things that if our fathers had taught us when we were younger would have been a lot less painful than for us to have to endure it when we were older. Are you with me? I know a lot of dads that never taught their boys respect. But that state trooper, when he walks up to the window, and he's got enough starch in that one shirt sleeve to knock your teeth out. And he's very nice about it. Hello, sir. You having a good day? Seem to be having a really fast one. Could I see your license, please? Could I please? Oh, yeah. Could I please? That's when you give them to him. Don't make him say something else. He's got that little get up on his side. I, I know he's got a gun, but he's got a, another little thing. It's got two prongs on it. One's called re and the other's called spect. Respect. And when they get to dancing together, they can teach it to you. I've never had any trouble with cops in my life. Because my daddy didn't wait on one of them to teach me respect. My daddy taught me that. Now, it wasn't without some measure of pain when he taught me. Because <laughs> he really thought lessons ought to be learned one time. You just ought to get it, okay? And, and, and don't make me say it twice. But I can just tell you these folks here, they've never been circumcised. And circumcision, that might sound like, well, that's just some ritualistic thing. But in the Old Testament, it was so important because it identified you with the people of God. It was, it was like having a badge. It was like having uh, certified papers. But yet it was marked on the flesh because God wanted them to know. I don't want you to understand that, that I just own your papers or I own your badge or your membership. No, I want it on your body because I want you to know that I own your body. I own your body. And he says these people, they need to be sanctified. They need to be set apart. They're going to be around a lot of people, Joshua, that don't care one thing about me. But these people here need to be different. And today we as Christians, we learn in the New Testament that we are circumcised in the heart. We're circumcised in the heart. That, that's a place that affects our entire life entire life it's not 
just a spot on the flesh, but this is a place where it would affect every decision that we make, who we marry, where we go to school, what we do with our lives, where we're going to work. Every bit of that, when we become a child of God, I really don't think we get it sometimes. It's not like uh, uh, just an attachment to your life and you just go on and do whatever you want to do. And if you need Jesus, He's there. Hope the batteries aren't dead. I need a little help from Jesus today. It is not like that at all. He owns us. We belong to Him. And everything in our life belongs to Him. We owe everything we have to Him. He says, I want you to mark them, Joshua. Lest they forget that. Very important. I wonder what it had been like if somebody had told God back then. Well, now I'm kind of a private Israelite. I, I really don't want to be circumcised. It's just not an outward. It's, just, it's, it's, it's kind of a personal thing for me. I, I, I really am not into that religious stuff. Now, I'm a follower of Yahweh, but, but I, I, kind of, I kind of do my own you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just the way I was raised. It's, it's just who I am. You, you think God would have bought into that private Israelite business? Oh, no. Not at all. Not at all. We need a time of reassurance. We need to know God is with us. Boy, I can tell you, I know you get tired of me saying it, the praise team probably is embarrassed to hear every blooming Sunday, but boy, I love it when you guys lead us. That's reassurance, man. He's a good, good father. Oh, you know the picture I thought about this morning? There's a picture of me somewhere on my phone, and, and, and when little Olive was tiny, just hadn't been home from the hospital long, Papa's laid back in a chair, and I act like I'm sleeping, but I'm not. I can't sleep, but that little bundle of joy laid piled up on top of me. And I'm rocked back in a chair, and she is just right there. And my big old arms and my big old hands, they wrapped around that little sweetheart, and she is sound asleep. Everything in her world is okay because Papa's got her. Papa's holding that little precious baby. She's not half as wide as my chest. But she doesn't have to be. Nothing would ever come through the door that Papa wouldn't fight till he died to protect that precious child. And since I'm embarrassing people, I might as well go ahead. When they get long-legged and clubby and grow their own beard and they're running sound back there, wearing a ball cap. I'm going to tell you something. They're still just as precious to you. And if you need me, son, let me know. Papa will be there. I'll be swinging one fist and a hook. But our mateys, all I got to say. I want them to know what it's like to have a father. What it's like for God to hold you. You know, sometimes I pray and I say, God, you know, I know I'm kind of big and brony. And he always says, you're more big than brony, Mike. Or at least I feel like he ought to. <laughs> but I'll say, God, would you just hold me today? 
I just need you to hold me. I'm a little bit afraid today. Not sure what's going to happen. I, I just, I just, I need you, God. And sometimes I'll even say it, hold me, Lord, like I do my babies. Just put your arms around me, God. And hold me like that. Before we march on, Cornerstone, we need that reassurance. We need that time of sanctification. Thirdly, we need a time of healing, too. Needed a time of healing. In verse 8, it says they camped there until they were healed. Sometimes after God does a work in our life, we, we, we need a little time to heal. Matter of fact, when we read about the surgery that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, that was some serious surgery, was it not? Gouge out your eye, cut off your right hand. I'm going to another state to preach here in a few weeks and there's some people there that's never seen me so I can't wait till somebody asks me what happened to my hand I'm going to tell them it offended me and just keep walking they're going to know wow he's preaching he's serious no God's serious his surgery is painful it's profitable it can be painful. And sometimes when God does a work in our life, sometimes after that, we kind of need a rest. I think the best example in all of Scripture, I want to get to him, uh, just go ahead and tell you, is Elijah. Man, Elijah, he's killed 450 prophets of Baal. He has called down fire from heaven. He's done all these awesome things. And I'm not sure about all the details of exactly what happened. But somehow or another, and I don't know what Jezebel looked like early in the morning before coffee. But when he found out Jezebel was after him, he started running and he didn't quit running. He left his servant behind even said, you stay here, I'm going on by myself. God had done a great work in his life, but he was afraid. And God was about to do something even greater in his life. He was about to anoint a new king. And he was also about to anoint the one who would follow him, a man named Elisha, who would ask for a double portion of the blessing that God had given Elijah. And if you count them up, he performed exactly twice as many miracles as did Elijah. God's good at math. I want a double portion of whatever you have, Elijah. But Elijah for right now is on the run, and I love this. He takes off to the desert, and he just gets down there, and he is worn out, and God wakes him up. But boy, you know what God did when he woke him up? I love this. There was a little fire, bread baking, food and water, and he ate, and I love this part best. Then he went back to sleep. There's nothing like sleeping till you get hungry and then eating till you get sleepy. He went back to sleep. God didn't kick him in the ribs. Say, you coward. What are you doing down here? He'd get around to all of that. But after it was all said and done, Finally, God would speak to his heart. God said, Elijah, you got work to do. And by the way, 
while you're down here feeling sorry for yourself, there are others who've not bowed a knee to me or bowed a knee to Baal. I've got other children there. They need you to lead them. You need to get away from where you are. You need to go back. You need to anoint a king. And, and, and then you need to anoint Jehu because he's going to kill everybody that gets in the way of my plan. And then you need to anoint Elisha. You still have work to do. But I love the fact that God let Elijah get some rest. And he already knew he needed food. He didn't order like DoorDash. It was there when he woke up. God says, I know what you need. You've been through a hard time. But you got to go back. I love that about God. There's a song. I can't tell you how many times I've sang it lately. I may do it here one day. Just a simple old song. But it's meant so much to me in the last year. The title of it is Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. But I know your love is greater than whatever troubles me. But sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Man, I can't sing it like Jason Crabb's brother does. But he can't mean it any more than I can. Wow. Sometimes that's what it takes for God to get a hold of us. We need reassurance, sanctification. We need healing. We need a time of remembrance. And verse 10 says they celebrated Passover. They hadn't done that in 40 years. This is a great time to do that because they need to be reminded that one, they don't deserve to be where they are. If it hadn't have been for the grace of God, they would have died in Egypt. It was only by the grace of God. And then they had to be obedient. Now, I like this part. When you study Passover, you remember this. At the first Passover, where the death angel passed over them, God commanded them. He told them how to get a lamb or a goat. He told them how to cook it. He told them what to do with the blood. Put it over the doorpost. Now, you can't tell me God didn't know where all His people lived. He could have just passed right on over all those houses where they lived. They, they needed to do nothing. And that's how people nowadays think. It's almost like, well... You know, I've, I've never walked an aisle. I've never been baptized or been to church or anything like that. But I, 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 I feel like I got, you know, a relationship with God. I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, God loves everybody. You know, well, you know that. Look at His own people. He said, yeah, I know where you live. I know where every last one of you live. You won't need to do anything for me to know where you live. I want to know where you stand. Do you trust in me enough when I cut it all loose on these Egyptians? Do you trust me enough to save your sorry hide? You're no more deserving than they are, but do you trust me enough to obey me? If you do, we're going to have Passover. The death angel will pass over your house. 
We need a time of remembrance before we move on and try to do anything. We need to realize if it weren't for the grace of God, none of us would be here doing anything. It's only by the grace of God. Only by His grace. I wish we could get that through our minds. I've grown weary over the years, quite honestly, of people feeling like that. Well, part of Pastor Mike's job is uh, he needs to get these hypocrites out of that church. I I quit over because of because of hypocrites. Well, if I were going to do that, I'd have to start with me. And then it wouldn't be long I'd be getting around to you. How foolish all of that is. Man, why aren't we just grateful that God saved us? Who cares about hypocrites? As a matter of fact, I don't know of anything that will make you a bigger hypocrite than to come in here and pretend you came to worship God, but all you can do is sit here and think about hypocrites. That's the classic example of one. Man, just be grateful. Be grateful that God loves us. We don't deserve any of this. It was only by His grace. I love verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. They were slaves in Egypt. They weren't free to do whatever they wanted to. There weren't anybody in Egypt walking around going, well, I could quit Egypt anytime I feel like it. No, you couldn't. You were slaves. They owned you. They beat your backs every day. They made you do whatever they wanted you to do. They took everything you had away, everything you owned away from you, just like drugs and just like alcohol and just like immorality and just like all the other sins of the world. Those things devastate us. They owned us. And and we were enslaved to them until God saved us. God told Israel, told Joshua, He said, I know you've been ashamed ever since you spent 430 years serving a pagan Egyptian pharaoh. Today I have rolled that reproach away. Be set free from it. Man. Number five, a time of anticipation. says they ate of the grain of Cana in verse 12. They had heard about it. The spies talked about it. Two of them said, we can go in and take it. Ten of them said, no. They've heard about it. But this time they finally got to taste it. You know, it's awesome when a person who has lived in sin, I'm going to say this and we'll move to our last point, but they've lived in sin all their life and they get that first taste of what it's like to live forgiven. To have God hold you like a father. Man, that Jesus said it. Those who have been forgiven of much, boy, those make the best disciples. That's a paraphrase. But those who've really been forgiven of a whole lot, I mean, I know people that almost that lot, they got saved because they just about were there anyway. I mean, really? They were raised in church and baptized three or four times and their mom and daddy were Christians and all that. They just needed a little nudge to get them over the bar. I can tell you, friend, it's not that way with any of us. We are all sinners and we all need salvation and we all need just as much grace as anybody else in the world does. It's so awesome when somebody finally realizes what living for Jesus is like. 
And then last of all, there was a time of growth. It says in verse 12, the manna stopped. The manna stopped. For a long time, God fed them. Bread just fell out of the sky. But now they're in that promised land. They're going to have to take a little more responsibility than to just get up every morning and go outside and rake it up. They live in a place now where they themselves are going to have to take some responsibility. Sometimes we need some growth like that. Sometimes we like to say, oh, I just want to go to church and be fed. Well, that's good. I do too. But if all you ever do is go to church and you're fed, go back again and you're fed, there's never a place in your life where you take what you've learned and you take the preaching and the teaching that you've heard and you use it to reach out to somebody else. I, I like Dr. Tony Evans' description of it. He called them constipated Christians. You've been fed till it's nearly killed you. Oh, I want to be fed. I want to go. Woo. Hear that word preached. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what you heard today? You're going to meet people this week that they weren't in here. You're going to meet them. They didn't show up today. That's fine. They may have never been in here, but they're going to meet you. You work with some of them maybe every day. What are you going to do with what you've heard? It's time for us, as we start this new September, this new year, getting back on track, I know a lot of folks have been out. Brother Bob is, him and Miss Jenny, they celebrating their 85th anniversary this week somewhere. I don't remember the number, somewhere along there, I think. But I can tell you this place will start filling up in the next few weeks. Wednesday nights, it'll look like I don't know what around here. Great day. I remember when we first moved all these youngins in here. Somebody came to me and told me, said the kids are being really rough on the carpet. You know what I said? I said, well, let's get rid of the carpet. And we'll keep the kids. They're worth way more than the carpet. Oh, and some of them get a little wild. Oh, yeah. We'll have some show up around here on Wednesday night that if you holler across the parking lot and get onto them, they'll turn around and give you the finger. Yes, sir, buddy. It's all they know. It's all they've ever learned. We're here to teach them about Jesus. We're here to tell them about somebody that maybe they've never heard about at home. Maybe they don't have a father at home, but they have one. In heaven, if they'll put their faith and trust in him. I know some boys like Devin and Malik, when they first showed up here on Wednesday nights, most of you know them. Do you know they were in car seats? Now they're both in college. If you, guys, if you could just know what they went through as kids. They came here and heard about Jesus. Changed their life forever. My goodness. 
Last I heard, Malik wanted to be a psychiatrist, doctor. I don't know. We'll try to work on that, but at least that's a start, right? It's incredible what God can do. But we need to take a moment today. Make sure that we're ready to go. Maybe heal a little bit. Some of you, maybe you've been through some tough times. Maybe you felt embarrassed to even tell God, God, I, I, I need a break. I, I, I need a break, Lord. I, I need you to help me a little bit. I'm, I'm about worn out. I, I, I pray for some of you just for that because I know we work you to death. Maybe you're here today and you need a little consecration, sanctification maybe. Maybe there's some things in your life that you know that it's going to be hard for God to use me until I give that to Him. Whatever it is, let's do that. And then let's let God use this church to be a light in the darkness here like never before. Let's pray. God, we come to You and we praise Your name. You are a good, good Father. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for all of your blessings. We thank you, Lord, that here is a passage that was written thousands of years ago, but, Lord, it, it just, Lord, spoke to our hearts as if you just spoke it. Thank you, God. I pray that you'd help every one of us here. Lord, maybe some of us need sanctification. Some just need rest. Others need to remember maybe how they got to where they are to start with, God. Lord, whatever the needs are, I pray, God, that you'll help us. Before we move on, before we dash off ready to go fight the world for you, I pray, God, that we would spend some time this week with you Resting in your arms and listening to your words. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.